The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. Today, I have a real special show. I know all the shows are special, but today's a special show. I know you've heard me say it before, but I just have to say it again because uh, I just absolutely love, love, love my guest today uh, for the person who he is, for the insight that he shares, and the stand he is for truth. Today I have as a guest the one and only Bible scholar, translator, and mystic, Dr. Will Coleman. How are you doing, Dr. Coleman? I'm wonderful, Reverend. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excellent. I'm excellent. So, Dr. Coleman, before we get into some of the questions that I do have today, we're talking about Jewish mysticism and specifically the Kabbalah. I do want to give people an opportunity to know how they can contact you early. You know, because you have your Monday night class, and want to make sure if they want to know how to get in contact with you, they can. Yes, sir. So the best way is to send me an email at w coleman. That's w c o l e m a n t h d t h d three three at gmail dot com. And from okay. there, I'll transfer them and enroll them into the uh, regular Monday night. Bible and Meditation course. I've been teaching it for 10 years now. We uh, have log on time at 8 p.m. Eastern, and then we go into a specific topic at 8.30 to 9.30. We study everything from the science of mind textbook to the 12 powers to Kabbalah to Think and Grow Rich to Master Key System, um, you know, mysticism with tarot cards. We've gone the whole entire spectrum. In fact, right now we're looking at the a uh, book of Enoch, uh, Sefer Hanak, book of Enoch, as a precursor to understanding much of what the what we call the New Testament uh, has been shaped and formed by, including the words of Yeshua and his teachings. Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, Dr. Yeah, Coleman, uh, I wanted to have a conversation about Jewish mysticism and the Kabbalah because. Yeah. So much of what we call now the New Thought Movement is a mystical movement. 
You know, I know yeah. sometimes people don't use that type of language. I prefer that type of language personally because yeah. we teach direct communion with God, direct connection, direct experience with God without needing anyone to connect us to God per se. And right. so in the midst of, before we get to the Kabbalah question, could you explain how you teach mysticism and what it is yeah, and how so you teach it? That's very good. So first of all, I always look at terminologies. When you say mysticism is from the uh, Greek word mustadion, mustadion, which really has the connotation of, of unveiling something or disclosing something. So through a series of um, practices that may include meditation, include readings of sacred texts, include intonation, include singing, include you know, dance, etc., one really unveils a mysterical or, or, or phenomenal power within oneself. So mysticism is not something that's spooky at all. It's about, in a way of speaking, self-disclosure and self-revelation that comes through the use of specific spiritual practices. And so to your point, mysticism is something that is intricate to, quote-unquote, metaphysical Bible study, because here again, we have two Greek words, metaphysique, metaphysical. That which comes after the physical, but is also within the physical and connected with the physical things that we see, touch, taste, experience, etc. So metaphysical is a study into the quote-unquote essence of how things function, including the essence of, or at least trying to understand the essence of uh, the sacred, the essence of the divine, and most importantly, the essence of ourselves. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So how does the Kabbalah fit into this stream of Jewish mysticism? What is it? How did it come about? And yeah, what are some yeah. of its practices? Yeah. I know that's a lot of questions together. No, that's good. That's good. So the word itself is the Hebrew word Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Uh, if you transliterate it, it's like Q-B-H. And it uh, basically means um, that which is handed down to, or to receive something. Here again, to receive illumination, to receive insight, to receive revelation through uh, specific practices. What um, I'll say a little bit by myself, I was introduced to formerly Kabbalah while I was in seminary, especially when I graduated in the year 1985, or just after I graduated, I began to explore some of the theories of, of um, Carl Jung and came across the phrase Kabbalah spelled with a C in that instance. And then I began to look at, uh, believe it or not, the Hermetic tradition and look at tarot cards, and as I began to look at study tarot cards, and then systematically, I uh, came across the expression of Kabbalah as a system of meditation connected with the cards. And as I did my research beginning in 1985 all the way up until the present, I became more aware that there were three different forms of it. Uh, Kabbalah spelled with the K, as you have it uh, notated. Kabbalah spelled with the C, more Christian mysticism aspect of it. And then Kabbalah spelled with the Q, which is where I began, actually. Now, it's connected to Jewish mysticism. It is integral to Jewish liturgy and Jewish, I think, more specifically, Jewish interpretation of the Bible, uh, especially the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And this uh, metaphysical interpretation yields uh, and has yielded an entire system of um, techniques for visualization, intonation, breathing techniques, even body motions that are connected with, um, again, this idea of unveiling. 
Now, this is not obvious when you're only looking at the English language. So let me give you an example. In um, Genesis 1.1, we have in English translations in the beginning, uh, quote-unquote, God created the heavens and the earth. But in Hebrew, it says, Barashit bara Elohim et ha-shemaim ha-aretz. And since every Hebrew word and every Hebrew alphabet even has multidimensional meaning, it can be translated, I'll just give you an example, not just as in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, but really, but our sheep in consciousness, in consciousness, the strong ones shaped and formed both the heavens and the earth or shaped and formed energy as well as matter. And uh, because the Hebrew language itself is so multidimensional, and Hebrew alphabets are multidimensional, you get a wider range of interpretations and experiences from that than you can get in an English translation. And you know my take on that translation uh, in their own way, basically commentary on the original text. So if you yes. just take that example, that one example, and expand that to the entire first five books, quote-unquote, of the biblical text, you can begin to imagine how um, meditation with those thought forms can enhance uh, the expansion of the mind and of consciousness. How is that related to new thought? <laughs> well, there we have it, new thought. Uh, new thought has, has been influenced by a variety of sources um, that hark right to ancient Northeast Africa, um, to um, Southern Europe, and then to other parts of Europe over centuries and centuries of uh, transmigration from that part of Northeast Africa, along with the biblical text, along with Islamic text along with Jewish text up to the very present. And then, as you know, New Thought has taken many of those concepts and popularized them in a different um, language system, i.e. in English uh, and in concepts that are embedded in uh, Kabbalistic and other mystical texts. I hope that was clear. Oh, no, that was very clear. That was very clear, absolutely. Now, uh, Dr. Coleman, I can remember when I first became aware of the Kabbalah, it was more or less because of celebrities. And it really wasn't yeah. something that I really drilled down on at the time because I was like, okay, Madonna's talking about something, and I'm not knocking Madonna or some actress or entertainer. And I just thought it was something that was for lack of terms, a fad, because it wasn't something that yeah. was consistently, how, how would I say this? It wasn't something that was consistently promoted in the African-American church community. You know, you know, I grew right. up with, you know, an uh, evangelical grandmother, Pentecostal. Well, she would never use the word Pentecostal. My grandmother said sanctified. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's what my she, grandmother, my family said, exactly. Right, yeah, my grandmother didn't even know what the word Pentecostal mean meant. The sanctified no, grandmother, sanctified. you know, my mom was more eclectic. She studied a lot of different things. However, I never ever remember her mentioning, even if she studied it, the Kabbalah. So I just thought it was right. interesting when I started to do some drill down on the subject because I discovered that it had a a lot of similarities to new thought. And uh, so you drill down a little bit on that, but as a system of consciousness transformation, uh, what is the end goal of the Kabbalah? 
That's a good question. Now, let me just say a word, though, too, about what you just uh, said about grandma. My parents, my family, uh, quote-unquote, sanctified, too, um, in my roots. Uh, mysticism, back to our uh, initial thought, mysticism has to do itself with an attempt to, I said, on one hand, disclose, but on the other hand, it also has it's connected with the idea of connection or union with the divine uh, through some form of meditation, uh, attempting psychologically and spiritually to be at one with and to connect with a divine consciousness. So in that respect, it's universal and it's archetypal. So even the traditions we grew up in, although they don't practice "quote unquote" Jewish Kabbalah, they do form uh, a they do practice a form of of mystical union with the divine and with divine consciousness, uh, primarily through ecstatic mysticism, speaking in the tongues, of uh, interpretation of the Bible, uh, drawn from African forms of rituals, African American forms that have developed over centuries. So in that respect, they are analogous too. Uh, forms of, of Jewish and other esoteric systems of Kabbalah. Now, the goal, I just already hinted at it, the goal of of um, uh, the Kabbalah and of uh, Jewish mysticism and Jewish-derived influence mysticism is to attain, in one way or another, consciousness of and union with the concept of the divine. The divine in Kabbalah is called the Ain Sof Or, Ain Sof Or, not G-O-D, uh, but Ain Sof Or, which means unlimited light or unlimited consciousness, connected with the unlimited. What is called in, for example, in science of mind, the thing itself, the thing itself. What might be called in uh, the 12 powers as, as the one, again, as the one mind. Uh, so when you have uh, notations about ultimate reality as the mind is all, the universe is mental, from the Kabbalion, or Ain Sof or in Kabbalah properly, or in um, uh, the, the thing itself in the science of mind. These are all different, in a way of speaking, variations and connotations of a similar idea, and they use similar um, practices in interpreting uh, sacred text or sacred reality and trying to demonstrate how that permeates everything. That's beautiful. Well, it's really That's beautiful. About, you know, another way of speaking is about it's about unity, try, uh, striving to uh, attain unity with one's perception of divine creative power. Got it. Got it. So many times when people see teachings or books on the Kabbalah, they'll see a a symbol that is indicative or represents the tree of life. Could you break yeah. down what that actually means from a consciousness standpoint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are different dimensions or expressions, again, of consciousness. So that particular symbol is called the Eitz Chaim, Eitz Chaim, tree of life or living tree. And the terminology is derived from, you can say, Genesis chapter um, 2 and 3, uh, where it speaks of, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, that the um, I'd say this was the, the living uh, strong ones uh, planted a garden, and in that garden they had two types of trees. One tree being what we know as the tree of life, is Chaim. The other tree being the tree of the knowledge. I want to emphasize that not of good and evil, but the knowledge of good and bad. Eight Tovara, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And the metaphysical interpretation has to do with these also are expressions of consciousness, everything in a way of speaking. 
in the parable Genesis 2 and 3, that's about consciousness and choice, etc. When people see that design, the imagery there is derived from another text, yeah, basically, that is a commentary on Genesis chapter, you can say chapters 1, 2, and 3. That book is entitled Sefer Yezirah, Sefer Yezirah, Book of Formation. And in that text, it is uh, uh, is presented as a conversation between the living one, the deity, and Abraham, Abraham. And it is a meditation on the um, Hebrew alphabet as foundational for all creation. And included with the Hebrew alphabet, that is 22 of them, is the idea of 10 spheres, 10 spheres of consciousness. Uh, and that the, the combination of the Hebrew alphabet in different forms and these 10 spheres is that through which the living one, the creator, brought everything else into being in the macrocosm. And the book is also, you can say, a meditation manual for how then human uh, persons can also emulate that process and bring things into existence in their own reality. So that's uh, the root of the design that people often see. And those, those uh, I just cite them all, they're designated Ketur, Chochmah, Binah, Da'at, Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Nitzah, Hod, Yesod, Barakut, Ketur, being crown, Chochmah, wisdom, Binah, understanding, Da'at, knowledge, Chesed, mercy, Gevura, strength, Tiferet, beauty, Nitzah, endurance, Hod, splendor, Yesod, foundation, Malakut, kingdom. And what that design also is, is showing is a pattern of both um, involution from the divine to the material and evolution from the material returning to the divine. So it's a pattern that also has a cyclical, you can say, movement suggested by the design. Now, each of those spheres uh, represent different aspects of the divine consciousness, and there is just a pluritude, multitude even, of attributes connected with both the ten spheres and the uh, lines that connect them, which are often attributed to the Hebrew alphabet. So here again, uh, that design is a is a physical, uh, it's a physical, it's a graphic blip, a representation of uh, a book called the Sefer Zerah, which in turn is a commentary on Genesis. If you look at Genesis chapter 1 about the creation that occurs through seven days, then the Sephir is trying to uh, suggest how that happened, how the creative powers use word, sound, and symbol to bring everything to existence. Again, word, sound, symbol to bring everything to existence. And if they could do that, quote-unquote, in the macrocosm, so can we in the microcosm. That's the correlation. Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. We have about eight minutes before we have to take our break. I want to give people, no if they have, if they want to call in, you, I want to give them the number really quickly. If you want to call sure. in, you can call in at 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. If you have a Bible question. If you obviously about Jewish mysticism about the show, but obviously if you have Dr. Will Coleman available, I'm sure you're going to ask what you want to ask. However, you know we are trying to focus a little bit on Jewish mysticism and the Kabbalah. So, uh, Dr. Coleman, 
I want to ask uh, some questions. Um, it looks like we might have somebody calling in shortly. So this will sure. be a short question. The The tree of life process uh, that you just explained sounds very similar to Charles Fillmore's 12 powers of man concept. The idea of these multi, these ideas working in consciousness to produce the manifestation as what he would call, you know, you know, a developed or fully manifested Christ. Uh, is yes. it similar? <laughs> That's how you said it, because, you know, I taught the 12 powers. Initially, I thought it was deep out of the year because it's such a thin text. But I ended up teaching the 12 powers in my Monday night class for three and a half years, almost four years. Yes. And we went to that text, uh, I mean, line by line. And I would say, yes, in a, in, in this uh, sense. Uh, Charles Fillmore's um, explication of the 12 powers is similar to, and I just put another term in here, a kind of Rosicrucian mystical physiology. In other words, corresponding specific centers and organs within the body to uh, mystical powers. And you know the, the list of, of what they are and how they are depicted and described in his text. Now, so too, or in a similar way, those spheres that I just delineated can be uh, correlated to different parts of the body, catheter to the crown of the head, hawkmoth to the left hemisphere, bina to the right hemisphere, and on down to mountain to the soles of the feet. They're not exactly the same, but they do have strong similarities. Both of them are attempting, I believe, to suggest that that uh, our physical body and organs, tissues, etc., are not only physical, but they are multidimensional that they have uh, correspondences in the physical realm, in the uh, emotional realm, in the psychological and the spiritual realms, and that they are integrated. In other words, that uh, our specific organs, even, with Charles Fillmore, are also centers of in different types of intelligences. There's an upper brain uh, that's located inside our head. There's a lower brain that's located in our solar plexus. You know, Charles uh, Harnell says the same thing. And here again, to your point, it shows that in the early 1900s and, and moving forward, there were correspondences between persons who were involved in various esoteric orders like the Rosicrucians, like uh, Freemasons, like uh, those involved in theosophy. And these more esoteric organizations, um, I believe, also influenced New Thought, or some of the, some of the New Thought uh, pioneers. Well, well, you know, what's interesting uh, I, I did a little research on uh, Neville Goddard. I'm a big Neville Goddard fan. And clearly, yes. Neville Goddard is not teaching pure new thought. He's teaching Kabbalah, um, yes. his version of it. And, yes. you know, he, he often mentions why. that he was taught by a black man named Abdullah in New York. That's right. And people are yeah, still trying to that. figure out who Abdullah was. But based upon his descriptions, this was the freest black man in, in, the, in the United States, maybe, just based on consciousness alone, that yes, people came to him. And also, to, go ahead. Excuse me. Go ahead. No, I was no, just no, saying people. Ahead. You know, his stories about people coming to him to sit at his feet. He could go wherever he wanted to go. In the early part of the 20th century, regardless of racism, is amazing. But it was a. It's a testament to the power of consciousness. But please go forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to your point, master teachers was another theme and motif. Uh, among the esoteric orders of Bobosky, um, uh, Pike, I mean, you, you, uh, Paul Foster Case, 
they, they all had some uh, other source of their teachings that they then, uh, as it were, condensed and pre presented in a form in the North American context where it could be uh, more accepted and more acceptable. Now, Neville, for example, if you look at uh, one of his anthologies, you'll see an introduction in there by someone named Israel Regatti. Israel Regatti was both an Orthodox uh, Jewish person uh, who was at the same time a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Now, that right there tells you that in one way or another, Neville and others also were in touch with, with organizations like that, which use the Kabbalah as a system and tradition of, of, of initiation. Uh, Israel Gotti was also an early, you could say, practitioner of, uh, kind of, he was a chiropractor, but also of, of a, a certain form of analytical psychology. But he was a high grade initiate in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, or its uh, offshoot, Stella Matutina. And um, I have also, uh, in my teachings, noticed correspondence between the uh, teachings of others, like even Ernest Holmes' book, where you get it by um, someone else that's done that particular text, uh, between the sources that he used and the languages that he uses and uh, esoteric traditions. So, again, there's no doubt that there, A, to your point, there were, uh, quote-unquote, mysterious teachers who mentored um, persons who became prominent in New Thought. B, that uh, components of New Thought draw heavily from Kabbalah and other forms of uh, both uh, Christian and uh, what we call hermetic mysticism. And they, re they reframed it in a, in a language and system that could be more... Uh, uh, understood more clearly by the more general public. All right, all right. We have about a minute before we have to take our break. We do have a caller, but I want to pick the caller up when we come back from our break, Dr. Coleman, to give the persons uh, the opportunity to have that question uh, yeah. uh, properly asked and answered. So I'm yeah. going to do a quick commercial for Christ Universal Temple before we have our, before we actually take this quick commercial. So just remember no that problem. you can tune in to Christ Universal Temple. You can get information by going to our website, www.cutemple.org, C-U, the word temple together, .org. We have a live stream of our service. Right now it's still online, but, you know, we're close to, to coming back in person. You know, we'll be getting that information out, I'm sure, pretty soon. And you can tune in from 10.30 a.m. until noon Central Time, Every Sunday, we have Facebook Live lessons Monday through Friday for, at noon. I, along with a couple of other people, teach uh, lessons based upon our daily inspiration for better living periodical. I also want to remind you that Reverend Wells has his Temple Talks on Facebook at 7 p.m. Central Time. If you're looking for it, just put at Rev Derek Wells into the search engine on Facebook. It'll pop right up. We have a consciousness building call on 6, 6 p.m. Central Time. Every Thursday night, again, you can go to the website or to the Facebook page to get that information. And June is actually the uh, we is the month we celebrate the founding of Christ Universal Temple for the Universal Foundation, not Christ Universal Temple, the Universal Foundation for Better Living. I'm butchering that. Let's take our first break, uh, our only break. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I have as a guest today, Dr. Will Coleman. We're talking about the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism. We have a caller I'm about to bring on. Donald, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Galen? And uh, how are you doing, Dr. Coleman? I'm good, and you? Thank you. Good, good. I have a question, not about so much the Kabbalah, but in Scripture, several times, Jesus states, I am. And yes. many said that the Jewish people knew immediately what he was talking about. Yes. Uh, especially in John 8, 58. John 8 and 58 says, before Abraham was, I am. So I kind of wanted to see what your thought was about the I am in the Scriptures. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. So the, um, yeah, they understood him very, very clearly. That becomes a, it's a code taken from Exodus um, 3 and 14. So you can write that down. In Exodus 3, 14, this is where Moshe is being uh, instructed as we're about the, 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 the deity. And Moshe wants to know, well, when I go back to Pharaoh, who shall I say has sent me? And what the uh, deity responds to say to him is not so much a name as it is a formula. And the expression there is a year I share a year, a year I share a year, which we in English translate this as I am. That's not quite accurate. It is more like a participle. I have been what I have been, am that I am, and will be what I will be. So it uh, it is uh, connoting that I'm the eternal. I'm the eternal presence. Um, and then that idea again, a year, the a year. Is picked up by the writer of the Gospel of John in several places, and you can just Google the I Am's in the Gospel of John. And so in, in chapter 8 that you're referring to, the Greek is ego e me, ego e me, we the word ego from an ego e me, but it has the same identical connotation. So at that moment, and in the other places where Yeshua uses that particular phrase, I Am, he is identifying with the deity. And this is why some of them are offended when you say that for sure. But if you look at it, in each case, he's saying it, it's like a revelation almost to himself even. I am the living bread. I am the river of life. I am the one who has been sent, etc. I am the light of the world. So when he said before Abraham was, and they had revealed Abraham as the founder, quote-unquote father, of what would become Ju- Judaism, he's saying before Abraham even existed or thought of or even received his revelations, I am uh Again, identifying with the eternal being. It would be like uh, saying, I'm the thing itself, in another, in another stream of thought. Does that help? Yeah, oh, that's excellent. Thank you so much. Identify with the deity. That's a beautiful uh, yes, sir. point. Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. You're welcome. Another place where that comes up, just to add to it, is in Revelation. Revelation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, I'm the first, the last, the beginning, the end. The Alpha and the Omega, that's another way of saying the same thing you find in the book of Revelation, where John, or the, the writer of the text, has his vision, and he sees this being, and hears these pronouncements of this, I have been, am, and will be. That, too, goes back to Exodus 3 and uh, 14, and also corresponds to John, uh, not just chapter 8, but other places in John, where Yeshua is, is attributed to be saying, with me, I am. Thank you so much. I have the Exodus 3 and 14 and Revelations 1 and 8. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day now. 
You too. So, uh, thank, thank you, Donald, for calling in. Much appreciated. So, uh, Dr. Coleman, uh, since he was asking some questions about the New Testament, I want to jump in on a New Testament question when it comes to mysticism. It's not a direct Kabbalah question, but I think it influences it. In um, the the epistle to the the epistle of First Corinthians, in yes. uh, chapter fifteen, Jesus explained. I mean, Paul is explaining his experience of the resurrection, and the way he explains right. it seems to be very mystical about yes. Jesus appeared. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to 500 brothers and sisters, you know, and he appeared to me, you know, um, you know, yeah. you know, lastly, et cetera. Um, could you explain that? Is that a mystical experience that he was having? Uh, or is yeah. it some nuance that we're missing because we don't understand the Hebrew context? It's something. It, it both. It, it is a mystical experience that's taking place, of course, in his mind and his consciousness, and it is something we don't clearly understand because we are not uh, fully uh, cognizant of the other influences that have to shape what eventually becomes known as the New Testament. For example, you, you, I think before we came online, I told you that currently I'm teaching and focusing on a book called the uh, Book of Enoch, Sefer uh, Hanach, and the Book of Enoch is a book written between what we call Old and New Testaments, uh, say 300 BCE to the time of Yeshua, and from which he borrows. And what the book of Enoch does is that it describes a series of visitations and visions that this person has, named Enoch, into the various realms of creation, into the various realms of heaven and below, etc. And these visions, uh, like you said, um, we talked about this between uh, during the break, like the books of, um, let's say, of Ezekiel, the vision of Ezekiel, uh, of spiritual practices. And what most of us do not have the background to, in our own experience, is the type of practices that Paul and Yeshua and others no doubt were involved in. Now, a hint of that can be found in the, the studies of, uh, of Elijah, called the School of the Prophets. So, Apparently, there was an esoteric or several esoteric groups in the history of uh, the, the Jewish Bible, Judaism, and forms of Christianity that practiced visualization techniques, practiced breathing techniques, practiced meditation upon the scriptural passages, and out of that uh, developed this part of literature that's not called Kabbalah yet, but it is, as you already suggested, a form of mysticism that is multidimensional. These visions, uh, these um, travels that they go to, the descriptions, the different angels that come to them and help them to interpret what they're experiencing. All this as part of a tradition of which also Paul is a part of. So these are, yes, these are visions and these are multidimensional experiences, back to our earlier definition, in one way or another, uh, to achieve union with the divine and to receive information from the divine source, and yes. knowing that that divine source also in our contemporary psychology is within ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, often when I'm reading New Testament texts, whether it's, you know, the Gospels or the Acts of the Apostles or the the various epistles, I'm consistently seeing the mysticism because I've developed metaphysical eyes. So I'm yeah. seeing principle when others see narrative. And I'm like, okay, these principles are clearly here, 
why yeah. didn't I see them before? But I just didn't have the consciousness nor the training. It wasn't just the consciousness. I didn't have the training to see it. And what I developed through taking classes in the Johnny Coleman Institute, sitting under you know the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman and her various teachers and ministers was the system to develop the eyes to see what's already there. And from that standpoint, could you talk a little bit more about maybe, for instance, I was mentioning it during the break, people couldn't hear it. When I first heard you uh, speak, you were speaking about Jewish mysticism. You were teaching the book of Ezekiel and oh, how yeah. that book helps you understand transcendent consciousness. Could you speak a little bit on yeah. that, please? Yeah, so uh, again, to your point, cultivating, and I know this about yourself, cultivating uh, mystical powers is should be, it is, it is innate. But like anything else, it requires uh, some attention, some discipline, just as in your case, you study the martial arts, et cetera. It means that you, there are certain things that you must do in terms of what you eat and how you take care of your body. These persons are not mystic just by chance. Let us also note that persons like Daniel had a specific diet. Persons like Ezekiel, no doubt, had a specific diet. Yeshua had a specific diet that included also a period of fasting, which induces all the states of consciousness. They, um, and this, that's the physical aspect, but they also cultivate the powers of their perception, the powers of their perception through uh, their dream world and through visions, because really a prophet is a person who learns how to see things a certain way, not only to see what's on the surface, but see how what is happening on the surface is functioning internally and how it works from a, um, a deeper of, of insight of perception, uh, working on the imagination, visualization capacity. So when you experience well, what I was teaching in the first chapter of Ezekiel, or, well, this is by the first chapter of Ezekiel, what I was experiencing in Ezekiel's vision of the temple, etc., I was, in a way, tapping into and trying to make clear that he was having a meditative experience. And the meditative experience was based on preparation. We all can achieve it. We must take time to cultivate it, which means setting aside some time when you're not distracted by the TV news, etc. Not that you're not aware of them, but you take time out to cultivate your inner being, your inner hearing, your inner seeing, your inner senses, so that they are heightened and so that as where well, you can drop into. Uh, like a download on demand instead of it be haphazard or be something that kind of shocks you as an episode in your life. You want to cultivate the rhythm of it. And like you any know, other skill, it has to be developed. And it can be. That's the point. Yes. 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 You, when you were talking, uh, I, I just had a flash moment. So years ago, uh, Dr. Coleman, when I was probably around 21, I started studying with a Taoist Kung Fu master. His name yeah. is Grandmaster Wei Lun Choi. He's the grandmaster of a particular nine, eight, 900-year-old Kung Fu style. Uh, the name of it is Li Hu Ba Fa. That's not yeah. super important. Li Hu Ba Fa used to be known in China as water boxing. But anyway, so, but yeah. I was studying a style called Xingyi Xuan. Xingyi Xuan means mind form boxing or intent form boxing and so one day as you're talking about the body he was he was a, a small man and you know he you know yeah. um you know southern chinese small man uh and 
one day I was asking him a question about chi and how chi flow works. So he asked one of my classmates to get into a forward stance. He put his hand out. He said, put your hand out. He put his finger in his palm. He moved his finger one inch and knocked the man back off of his feet. And I was looking mm-hmm. like, whoa, what was this? So I, he told me, hold your classmate. So I'm holding him, holding his waist. My classmate has his hand out. He puts his finger in his, in his palm. One inch, he bounces him again and takes me with him. And I right. had brought a buddy from work with me. And he told my buddy to hold me while I was holding my buddy. And he did it with his palm. Same one inch. Knocked all three of us back off of our feet. And when I asked him how could he do it, because it didn't make sense based upon the physics, he said, I think power. That was literally his response. I think power. And I just had to go home and sit with it. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, it it seems as though you're saying the same thing. I, I, he could, Yes, sir. It was on demand. It wasn't happenstance. Yes, and that's Taoist. That's Taoist Kabbalah. That's Taoist was seed tradition over generations. Now, what that brings to mind is uh, again, as we cultivate our bodies, we're not just cultivating our bodies. The body is the seat of Charles Fillmore says another way: our physical body is the seat of our spirit body. We have more than one body. We can say we have more than just one dimension of who we are, but most of us don't don't develop it consciously. So the there's you know there's the body, there's the soul, and there is spirit. They're all integrated inside of us in different ways, and so we can actually expand and extend the the function of our physical body through the other components of our soul and our spirit. I just use that simple nomenclature, and um, as we cultivate those powers, then we can uh, uh, do things that seem quote unquote miraculous, but they're not really very like miraculous. They're just the extension of natural law, and they're the extension of our natural body. And so uh, what Phil Moore is getting at in the 12 powers is how to cultivate the intelligence of those of those 12 powers under the regency of the I am Christos, the I am, I am Christ consciousness in that system. Um, in martial arts, you learn it similarly, how to extend the reach and scope and power of the physical body because the physical body is the seat of all power. And to another point, back to why it's important to take care of the body. You can only be as vital, I believe, spiritually, as you are physically. The better you take care of your body physically through various practices and disciplines, nutrition, etc., then also the more you have available to you in the um, spiritual realm. And sometimes people have a tendency to separate and think that spirit is better than the physical. The spirit is rooted in the physical. Do not neglect the physical. Ezekiel was sitting by a river engaged in some form of meditation and or, who knows, nutrition when he had his vision. Daniel, again, had a very specific, in his case, vegan diet that precipitated a lot of his experiences and prophetic powers. Yeshua uh, fasted as well as uh you know, ate food. He he also had periods of fasting and meditation. Same thing is true with Paul. The portion of the book of Revelation is also going through a series of meditations on an island when he has his visions. So if you want to have a strong, robust spiritual life, have a strong, robust physical one. Yes, yes. Take care of the body temple. 
I agree. And I think that that's one of the things, at least in modern New Thought, I think it was one of the things that Charles Fillmore, Charles and Myrtle, I want to just say Charles, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore brought to the movement because everybody yes, was did. talking about so many things that they emphasized the body so much in yes. their teachings. Yes, they did. And that was the influence of Rosicrucianism uh, in one way or another because Rosicrucianism also emphasizes the connectivity between physical body and metaphysical uh, experiences and powers. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, the blood, so, the organs, the tissue, the muscles, etc. We are Adam, uh, constructed in an image of the divine. Yes. So I want to ask a question about a particular book that I normally never talk to people about because uh, people, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult book to understand without context. And that's the, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews. Because it seems as though some of the things that you're explaining, a lot of that language is in that epistle. Um, how do you tackle that particular epistle when you teach it? Same thing. That book is, uh, again, this is why, um, in general, many things that we do not understand are what we now call the New Testament. We have to realize the Bible developed over hundreds of years, thousands of years. Many things that we don't understand in, per se in the New Testament because we don't have the other part of the text. The other part of the text is that book of Enoch, because it forms a bridge, I say, between Old Testament, quote unquote, what we now call Old Testament mysticism and New Testament mysticism. So the writer of the book of Hebrews most likely is connected with a priestly tradition and is writing a treatise. We don't know who exactly wrote this book, but writing a treatise that is helping to see, or attempting to help us see correspondences between the, the, the priestly tradition of what we now call Old Testament and the appearance of Yeshua as it were as a new type of priesthood. And once you understand that context uh, and the connection between the two, then a lot of things that are said in the epistle to the Hebrews are clear. So you have to have some knowledge of Leviticus. You've got to have some knowledge of the uh, ritual practices that are included, I'm just saying as an example, in the, again, in the the Torah, the first five books, and see how the writer of the Epistle of the Hebrews is saying that the things alluded to in those first five books were either fulfilled or will be fulfilled by the person who appeared as Yeshua and as, who appeared, as, quote unquote, as a new priest, oh, a practitioner, we could say, of a uh, new discipline of, of spiritual, metaphysical thought. Oh, that's great. That's great. We only have uh, probably about six minutes or so left. If you want to call in, this is the time to call in. 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. If you have a question that you want to get answered, uh, you have to do it quickly. So I want to uh, double back to the Kabbalah, uh, Dr. Coleman, and yes. talk about the practicality of the Kabbalah. You know, mm-hmm. just like New Thought is taught as a practical mysticism. How do people normally use the Kabbalah to develop consciousness, say, for instance, for prosperity? How would you work with the system to produce the abundance of God in a real practical way to take care of your financial responsibilities? Let me use one example. I'm going to use this right off in the book of Genesis. And that, uh, if you read that only as what you think of the description of the physical universe, you're going to miss a lot of gems in it. 
because uh, the book describes six days or cycles of creation, beginning at nighttime, evening, and morning. And uh, I said the first day talks about uh, the emergence of uh, and shaping of darkness and of um, of light. Well, that also corresponds to the, the unconscious and the conscious mind. Second day describes the appearance of the sky or air. Well, that corresponds also then to the subconscious, waters below, conscious, conscious mind, the, the, the air, and then waters above, superconsciousness. The third day describes the appearance of dry land and fertile soil from underneath the water. So here again, now we have the emergence of the, you could say, the structures of things, especially the structures of the body system, muscle, tissue, organs, etc. The fourth day goes on to parallel the first day by describing the emergence and function, more essentially the function of the sun, moon, and stars. Well, that corresponds in many respects to the function of the brain and nervous system. The fifth day describes uh, swimming creatures and, and flying creatures in the um, water and in the air and their reproductive powers. That corresponds to respiratory and our reproductive systems. Then on the sixth day, you have a description of creatures that come up out of the earth and then the statistically the shaping of Adam, the human being, male and female, in the image of the of the, of the creative powers. That uh, speaks to several things. A, our procreative power in the image of the Elohim. B, the importance of male and female productive power. And then it also says that this is very good. But it doesn't end there. In the first four verses of chapter 2, we get the, the Shabbat. And the Shabbat, then, is a time of rest and recreation. So what I described here is also a plan or model for abundance in many different dimensions. The first three days, you lay the foundation. Uh, the second three days, you enhance upon the foundation. And then the seventh day, you reflect re and, and revise what it is you intend to do. If you use that simple formula and understand that it is multidimensional, it pertains to the physical, it pertains to this, um, the work of the soul, the life force, it pertains to the spirit. Then you use that template as a model of you are dealing with multidimensional prosperity because the creative powers shape these things out of something that initially is unorganized. So they use uh, different forms of intelligencies to first lay a solid foundation and then secondly to enhance that foundation and then you can say finally to bless the entire endeavor. And all that can be found. And Genesis chapter 1, and I'm, I'm just giving a survey of it. It is even deeper and more profound when you uh, have some uh, awareness of the Hebrew. And you know this, I encourage people not only to look at English translations, but to uh, uh, get in touch with their original Hebrew and Greek. And you can do that through various sources now that are online. Right, right. Because those and... donations, Bereshit Bara Elohim 8. In consciousness, the strong one shaped and formed all forms of energy and matter. And so it's just, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, yes, yes. I think that definitely works because it's telling you how to produce and form out of consciousness what it, whatever it is that you seek to produce. Yeah. So How to yeah. extract it in the language of Ernest Holmes, how to extract it from the thing itself. Yes, and give it shape yes. and form. Your mind has the capacity to give shape and form. Or Charles Hanel, the world that we see is a reflection of the world within. And the world within is unlimited. That's your mind, is unlimited. 
if you treat it as such. Yes, yes. Speaking so Rich 101, what the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. It can achieve. I love Napoleon Hill. <laughs> yes, Napoleon Hill. And who probably extended it from Charles Hondell and from other other uh, writers. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I see it all day. And he even mentions it in Law of Success that he studied new thought to get a lot of his principles. And I tell people that all the time, these business people, like, look, the person who you study, studies, studied what I study. So, so exactly, it's 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 all connected. It's all connected. We try to separate it. So, Doctor Coleman, we have about a minute and a half left. So, I want to make sure that people, yet again, if they called in late, they have an opportunity to find out how they can connect with you and be a part of your Monday night class. Yes, sir. Real simply, uh, W Coleman PhD. That's W C O L E M A N PhD. That's P as in Paul PhD. Three three at gmail.com. You send me an email there. I will enroll you in the class. You'll receive a notification on Sunday evening for the class on Mondays. We begin 8 o'clock um, evening uh, Eastern time with just general conversation, catch-up, etc. And then we go from 8.30 to 9.30 with the specific focus of the evening. And you can always log in anytime, and you don't have to be uh, there every Monday night. You can come in every You can come in anytime you want to. We have been doing this now for 11 years. Beautiful, beautiful. So I want to just thank you again uh, for your consciousness, for your insight, for your information. Uh, this this show has definitely been a blessing, to say the least. I think people will have an opportunity to go back and listen to it and get into the rhythm of what you were saying, not just what you were saying, because it was, the consciousness was coming out of the words. So I just want to just exactly. thank you all. Uh, next week, uh, I won't have a live show. They'll be replaying uh, my show, Johnny Coleman, the Civil Rights Leader of the Mind. So I want to have that show play because I want to celebrate the founding of the of U the Universal Foundation for Better Living. And there was no better way to do that than to honor the founder, the Reverend Dr. Wonderful. Coleman. God bless yes, you. Sir. Thank, Thank you, Dr. You Coleman. All right. All right. God bless. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.